Hey there, we're the Westlap Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skuzgauspo. Well, guys, it is March Madness uh, upon us. Uh, St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. Um, Slancha. Yeah, Selection Sunday is come and gone, and we would be very remiss if we did not welcome back uh, for what this must be the eighth year, uh, Scott Sepich, our resident bracketologist. Scott, thanks so much for uh, making the time yet again. A tradition like any other. <laughs> glad, glad to be back. I think Jim Nance, I heard Jim Nance actually talking about this on his, yes, tradition like any yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe for the 10th and the 10th year that we do this, we'll, we'll drop a little one shining moment uh, of some of, some of our ep- epic burns in this podcast <laughs> from years past. <laughs> Yeah, can we go back and uh, find some of the worst predictions that oh man we all made in this podcast? <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so we wanted to know just right off the top. I mean, you've obviously you're firing up the pool as always. Um, I feel like I mean, there's a little bit of this every year, but how much is it Duke versus not Duke this year? I mean, I this is you know. There's so much of this, but if any is their year that you, you know, I'm sure you're going to have so many people banging Duke and then a lot of people like just protest not picking Duke. Um, Is it shaping up like that at all? Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, clearly I think Duke's the clear favorite. I mean, uh, with Zion, they should be the best team. I think if they're, you know, he seems to be healthy. Obviously, he's played really well the last few days. So, you know. I think without him, they look like a team that might get bounced like the Sweet 16. But with him, they look like the favorite. So, um, but if he slips up and have a bad game, I mean, you know, it's possible they could lose. But uh, does, does he ever have a yeah. bad game? Uh, I mean, he really hasn't. Has he? Has he had a really bad game? <laughs> no. I mean, except but, for him I mean, getting hurt. Yeah. I mean, it's, he, but he's even been like other otherworldly. It seems like the last week. So. Um, yeah, you know, I think Duke's an interesting, an interesting team as far as like pool goes because there is such a hate of them and people really sort of uh, their personal feelings about Duke get in the way of of whether or not they want to pick them like objectively to win a pool. So, um, and they also have a track record being bounced out of tournaments when they were favored to do really well, and people kind of remember the bad taste they have from. Uh, from that happening. So, you know, even though the, obviously every, every year is different. I mean, Duke's team literally is pretty much different every year. Um, it's, it's interesting how the, the psychology just how the teams have done in the past really play into how people pick things, but I still expect the new most popular pick. Yeah. This is the most, um, Kentucky like Duke team that we've ever seen. Am I, am I right on that? Like, I, I know that they've had one and dones and, and Krzyzewski's, uh, desire to not go the one and done route is is you know much ballyhooed etc he's clearly abandoned that um he's got not only williamson but also rj barrett and then there's a third dude as well cam reddish yeah yeah Yeah. um i mean like is is there anyone else with that kind of star power this year outside of me i mean kentucky is always a a bunch of one and dones but they don't seem to have quite the same pedigree this season as in, as in maybe recent years. Is, is anyone even on par with them talent-wise? Probably not, no. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, really it's been like the last three or four years where they've where Duke has really started to court the the one-and-done idea and kind of run with it. Um, and you look back, you go back to like Joel Okafor when they won the title with him. Um, you know, ever since then, they've kind of been open to this uh, uh, way of doing things and, and, Stealing Kentucky Thunder a little bit there is probably you know a good way to put it. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, Barrett and Zion are giving me the top two picks in the draft, right? So I mean, obviously they've got the 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 biggest stars here. Who? So historically, Scott, I I don't know if we've ever talked about this or not, but over the years that you've done your whole big bracket, ha- like. Duke versus North Carolina. Do you see a clear like separation where like people tend to like one of those teams more than the other one, or are they both about the same? 
or both loved and hated in the same measure? Or have you seen some sort of separation over the years? Oh, I think clearly people are feel feel better about picking North Carolina personally than they do about picking Duke. I think I think outside of Duke fans, people tend to hate Duke. Whereas outside of UNC fans, I don't feel that people hate them as much. I mean, you I and know, I have not talked personal... enough about you. You and I have not talked enough about the University of North Carolina in recent I, years. Then I I would. Uh, I mean, I know they have the whole the whole academic situation and and like there's reasons to hate them but i just i don't feel the same visceral sort of distaste come from people about them personally but that's just my i mean that's anecdotal for me you know so i i would invite those people uh to go run a sporting goods store for two and a half years in north carolina and then see how they (laughs) feel about it (laughs) just like if an asteroid just landed on Tobacco Road, that would be the that would be my win. But um, yes, no, um, I, that, I mean that makes sense. I mean, I, I was just kind of curious if you saw people. You know, do to what extent do you get a lot of people? Like, will you have a lot of people who are like, I'm picking from the heart, and my heart tells me screw Duke, and I will not ride them all the way, or are people just like, I'm in it to win it? No, I do think that I don't know if. It- necessarily so intentional as much as it is (laughs) is that people think about like do i really want to have to root for duke for the next three weeks and a lot of people just don't want to do it (laughs) like they just don't (laughs) want that you know like well and and so and i I feel go ahead oh i think i was just gonna say i think it turns into an unconscious bias because that's what happens with me is i'm it's like i look i look for reasons for them to lose and 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 i'm not i'm not knowledgeable enough about college basketball to like be totally objective in those moments. And I, and I willingly lean into my biases and and look for ways for, I hate picking North Carolina past the sweet 16. I hate picking Duke past the sweet 16. Like those first two games, it's pretty hard to, you know, call an upset, but then you see him up against a four seed and you're like, Oh, I think it can happen. And, uh, often for me, one of those, that four seed is a big 10 team that, that, uh, not that I have a, a, rooting interest in but i've just gotten in my head because i've seen them a couple times that maybe they can pull it off and it's just dumb i should i should just put four teams that i hate in the final four slots and be done with it that way at least you're not well, like think, hating one over the other it's just all equal hatred all hate I, I think that the idea though of the like kind of the unconscious bias in your mind is is not just with a team like duke where you hate them you know personally but teams like gonzaga or virginia yeah, right. Where, uh, you know, Virginia, of course, is right back where they belong as a one seed. Uh, but well, I mean, everybody's probably going to be thinking a little bit about last year in the back of their minds and the fact that they've never made the Final Four in this run that they've had of good teams, and and so that's going to play. Like I, I, I anticipate Virginia to be picked possibly less often than any of the one and two seeds. I mean, honestly, Virginia's got to show me they can get out of the first round. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Hot takes, people. Well, right, right. But I mean, but that's sort of like, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at, though, is like, you remember what happened with them last year, right? Which is they won in a hundred and, I mean, 200 times that a one played a 16. You know, Virginia in the last two years has lost, I think, five games total. And like, three of them were to Duke. (laughs) And one was to UMBC. And then one was to like somebody, you know, it was like, they wasn't just, their they're best so good, player, but they just had this one bad day. Wasn't their best player injured in that game, too? Last year? Yeah. Um, I don't remember. Yeah, they did have somebody out who was who was important, but, I mean, they still should have won the game. No, <laughs> I mean, no they absolutely should have, but it's like one of those – it's like those details get kind of lost, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just but curious. But I just think that oh, – yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I was just curious. Like, if Virginia does make it out of the first round and they make it to the Sweet 16 – if Virginia and Wisconsin play in the Sweet 16, is every high school coach in the country obligated to go to that game? Uh, well, are they even able to sell regular tickets, or is like just every coach just has to be like, oh, the fundamentals? It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's uh, gonna be the yeah that, that'll be the most fundamental game of all time. <laughs> so we, it might so end up being like no, 37 to 35. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So it's it's crazy. You got three ACC teams as one seeds. I mean, is the ACC just as a conference that much better than everyone else? And you know, from a depth perspective, Big Ten has eight seeds. That's the most ever in Big Ten history. Um, but is the is the ACC that much better than everyone else? Well, I think you can look at the top three teams, and I think you can I think you can justify it. Sure. Um, can I submit a um, uh, an, an item of evidence uh, for the jury? And that's Northwestern's win over Georgia Tech on November 28th. <laughs> I mean, not to be salty, but ee, I like super top heavy, I guess is my point, right? Kind of like SEC in football, right? I, I, yeah, I mean, but I mean, Virginia Tech and Florida State. Well, those are both four seeds. Um, who else made it from that one? I'm trying to Cuse, look around. Cuse is on the eight line. Oh, uh, yeah, Syracuse um, is there. Uh, I mean, they did Louisville. talk about that. Like those, top, the Louisville, yeah. like, those top three teams hammered everybody, which has the effect of sort of, you know, like dragging the low end down. I, You know, to your first well, – further to your point, though, Scuzz, another way to look at it is – a, a better overall Big Ten is not helpful to Northwestern. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I, I'll just, in theory, we this should have a rising tide, you know, lifting all ships. Mm, not so much. Well, I, somebody's got to lose, right? Um, and I guess I will say this: like, I, I loathe Duke and North Carolina. Um, I, I Duke for just being the the, the salty winners, or or not salty, but. Um, arrogant winners that they've been for so long. And, uh, I just, I dislike them for like the classic reason that most people dislike Duke and North Carolina, I think should lose their, I think that entire school should just be shut down. They committed fraud for God knows how many years. Um, and it's terrible, but uh, as much as I hate those two teams and I really dislike how played up their, their games get in, in college basketball. I mean, I think about like, like I was, I was at lunch with my uh, father-in-law the other day in downtown Cincinnati at like noon on a Wednesday. And they've got a random ass Duke, North Carolina game from at least 10 years ago. I mean, Tyler Hansborough is in this (laughs) game and it's playing on ESPN in this bar that we're in having lunch. And I just thought like, this is nobody needs to see this again. This is not that great of, of a spectacle. Like put the Jordan 83 game on for God's sake. Anyways, point being, I hate those two teams. I don't like watching those two teams. I don't enjoy the pageantry that goes with it or anything. Um, but when they played two nights ago in the ACC championship, um, the, championship. the semifinal, yeah. yeah, the semifinal, uh, that was an incredible basketball game. And despite all of my efforts to do otherwise, I was extremely entertained and, um, as much as you know, like I'll bag on the ACC for being top heavy, et cetera, they probably deserve it. Those teams are really damn good, and Virginia's been, you know, consistent and with them all year long, if not, you know, having beaten them. Yeah, and are you ready for the Duke North Carolina championship again? That'll be, I, that, won't be, like, that won't be hyped up at all. <laughs> like, I, like honestly, it doesn't. And maybe I'm just you know colored by Alabama Clemson after so many years in football, like I, like I, it wouldn't even be a problem. I, it, it'd be interesting just cause there's so much riding on. I don't know. Like, have they ever met for the national championship? Scuzz, if they, if there's a Duke North Carolina national championship, I'm going to make sure they fly Dabo Sweeney in for the game. Just, <laughs> just, just for you, just for you, buddy. Third man in the booth, Dabo Sweeney. <laughs> Um, so another thing that I know we want to talk about, Scott, and it's sort of peripheral to this Duke, North Carolina thing is Duke's the number one overall seed and North Carolina is not. And yet juxtaposing it directly with the big 10, the big 10 championship game, North Carolina somehow managed to avoid both of those teams. And I know we talked about the fact that so many people managed to pick Duke, I think, for ridiculous reasons that, I mean, maybe you can explain it better than we can, but Duke is paired off with possibly the most favored pick in, in bracket history. Like, 
everyone just kind of looks and sees where Michigan State is and then just puts them into the final four regardless of what their seed is. Um, and like neither Michigan State nor Duke should have any business having to play each other in their own bracket. But here we are. So um, what's your take on the, you know, the selection committee's move here? It's weird because it, like that kind of suggests that Michigan State is eighth, right? Like if you look at if you if you consider like that the best one should play, you know the lowest two. I think I think theoretically that's supposed to be the way it happens, and so that's what's weird because uh, I would think in, out of these four teams, wouldn't Gonzaga be the fourth one? So then shouldn't they play the first two, which I think would be Michigan State? Especially because they beat Michigan today, so I mean, I, and, it, and, and you've got it's very Michigan, odd to me. And you've got Michigan in the bracket with Gonzaga. They they lose right. the Michigan State today and get an easier draw. It's weird, right? And I think you would. I think I mean, I I would again. I haven't seen the numbers yet as far as brackets go, but I would. I'm I'm assuming Michigan will be favored to get through that bracket over Gonzaga. Um, and again. Is that is that fair? I mean, Gonzaga is always so tough to handicap, right? Because they have that win over Duke, which was an awesome game early in the year, but it was early in the year, and then and then they play nobody for like two and a half months, and then they lose out of nowhere to St. Mary's, which St. Mary's isn't a bad team, but I mean, Gonzaga beat them by forty something earlier in the year, and then lost to them in the, in the WCC final, so. You never know what you're going to get with them. I mean, you, they have you, a ton of talent. You might get a hand but, through the through like, the hoop. You might. <laughs> I'm just we're, saying. Were we going to talk? Uh, this is out off 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 this right. We were going to talk about how the fact that ever since that hand went through that hoop, our entire program has gone through the into the toilet. Basically, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> but, uh, All right, we'll get to, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to Scott Scott Northwestern is well represented in this tournament. We're going to get there eventually. Hey, before before we move off the top eight, um, I'm just looking at the net uh, rankings, which are the new rankings that they're you know the RPI has been, I guess quote unquote retired, and the net is now the new thing. Um, interestingly, Michigan State is number eight in the net rankings. Uh, North Carolina is seven, but there is one team in the top eight that is not represented on the top seed line, and that's Houston. And if I'm and they they are a three seed. Uh, in North Carolina's bracket, any what? I mean, Scott, have you have you seen Houston play? Are they legit? Is this a classic case of like Gonzaga light of they just they play in a in a conference that is on nobody's radar, and so nobody's going to believe it until they see it? I did watch them a couple times, but I think I watched them at the wrong. Like I watched them lose to Central Florida at home. And then I watched some of their game against Cincinnati, which was today, right? Yeah, that was, was that today or yesterday. <laughs> that was today, I think. Um, so I watched them get beat twice. Well, that's that's not they reassuring. That's not reassuring. But uh, <laughs> yeah, fans. I mean, well, but I mean, I remember I remember early in the year. I think they started out like eighteen, nineteen, and zero, and or something like that. And nobody was really giving them a whole lot of credit. They didn't have much of a schedule, um, so. I'm not exactly sure where I mean, I think I think what I've heard about the net is that it does give you some extra points for blowing teams out. Mm. Like like margin of victory is encouraged in a way that maybe it wasn't an RPI. So so if you do run a lot of teams out, like you're you're gonna get rewarded for that. And I think also I looking I, I just pulled that up also and I see that they were eleven and one on the road. Uh, which I don't see anybody else other than, like, I mean, Carolina, but many other one seeds that were 11, you know, Virginia, yeah. Gonzaga, Carolina were the only other teams that only lost one road game. So, um, so I guess I can kind of see why the, why the numbers would skew them and put them that high. But, I mean, I guess that's why we don't just use the computer numbers and they do some, uh, you know, they, they evaluate the teams a little bit more than that. But I mean, Houston probably could, maybe could, maybe could have been on a two line if they had won today. But I don't I, know who they would have replaced. I did not realize You're, Kelvin Sampson was the coach at Houston. That's, oh yeah! Wow! Yeah, yeah. 
Well, your your opinion of Kelvin Sampson and Houston, I just mean anyone's opinion, is really important to any effort to try to convince anyone that North Carolina has a hard road in their bracket. Because people are throwing out that they have Kansas. This is like the worst Kansas team in a decade. Like this this Kansas team was not good. Um, yeah, I think then, Kansas, I think, I think there's other 13s that had a better chance of maybe beating them. <laughs> but I don't, I think they got a favorable draw with Northeastern. Uh, don't, don't but, be, bes- don't be besmirching Bruce Pearl and my, uh, Bruce Pearl and my, uh, my Auburn Tigers. Well, newly well, yeah, newly adopted. Tigers. Okay. I think they're going to, I think, I think Kansas is going to lose to whoever they play in the second round. Yeah, well, so it's, there's a chance they could play Bruce Pearl's Auburn Tigers. They could also play New Mexico State out of the whack, who has like 30-something wins. I- incidentally, New Mexico State beat Grand Canyon University uh, <laughs> in the final, um, in, in the WAC final. And Grand Canyon, A, is a Mickey Mouse for-profit school, and B, maybe starting Isaiah Brown at guard next year. Um, so... Yeah. Maybe I think probably will. Be. <laughs> yeah, I know. So it's like uh, the the first of several people who have parachuted out of the Northwestern basketball program to greener pastures, shall we say? Scott, we've talked a lot on the podcast this year about what a uh, what a guy, even though he didn't fit what Chris Collins wanted in a point guard, um, he was still by definition a, a, a point a guard. A point guard would have would have been helpful. He was still. Yeah, by definition, yeah, would have probably helped. Scott, one specific thing that we wanted to talk to you about because of your proximity to it is Oregon. Um, you know, I mean, coming into the tourney, there were really only a handful of teams that, as things developed, really stole a bid. And Oregon's probably number one with a bullet there. Um, you're, you know, again, like, what's the reaction to? Oregon kind of pulling something out of the Pac-12 ashes here. Um, and, you know, and how are people looking towards them as they move in as a 12 seed? I mean, it was a really, really weird year for them because um, they had Bull Bull, who was the, um, the top, you know, five-star recruit, you know, Manute Bull's son. Uh, he was... Uh, supposed to be you know they were ranked top top 12 or so coming into the season people thought this was a team that could make a really deep run this year and then he only played uh like eight or nine games uh bowl did but he was averaging like over 20 points a game 10 rebounds a game i mean he was dominating and then he got hurt and he's and he's done so then they had to re completely re group themselves without this guy that was supposed to be their their guy and they went through a really rough stretch where they were pretty bad. They were didn't seem like they knew exactly what to do, and they had some other injuries. And the last like two, three weeks, they've just kind of figured it out and gotten it together, and they still have a lot of talent. So going into the tournament, I thought they were playing better. And it's it's interesting that when it came when push game to shove, Oregon was favored in, in Vegas against Arizona State in the semis and against Washington in the final so there was a lot of sentiment that they were a more the most talented team in that league and they were finally putting it together at this time and so I think absolutely they're extremely dangerous as a 12 seed I heard I, I read just this afternoon that right now Wisconsin's a one-point favorite in that game but people are thinking that Oregon's probably going to end up the favorite in that game I mean, they they they're playing in San Jose, so I mean that's a yeah. real quick trip down from from Oregon, and it's a it's a hike from Wisconsin. So, you know, you're gonna have at least a little bit of a, a home crowd advantage for uh, for the Ducks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, you know that's an advantage too. Um, but I just think, yeah, it's it's interesting. My first, just kind of morphing this into a discussion of the 12 seeds, my my impression when I saw the bracket was how good the 12 seeds are this year. Um, Uh-oh, uh-oh. And I look at Murray, like Murray State. I mean, they've got, you know, one of the biggest stars in the country. They've, uh, 
you know, and then you have Oregon, you have New Mexico State that won 30 games, and you've got Liberty, which was a team that had a couple pretty impressive wins and ended up um, beating somebody in their championship game that was pretty good. Was that they beat, um, I think, Greensboro? Was that was the team that beat Greensboro? But they also were looked to be pretty good. So, If I have to choose between Liberty and Duke in a Sweet 16 matchup. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, we have to remember, removing all sentiment about <laughs> any of these schools as institutions. <laughs> well, actually, I should say, I would, have zero the basketball pro- teams. I would have zero problem in that scenario, John. The pick is obviously Duke every day of the week. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's Speaking of which, I just had, I had to point this out to you guys because I hadn't fully processed it. And then I'm just looking, and it's spectacular. The lower half of the East Regional... Let's just call it the scandal bracket. So it's it's unreal. Belmont and Temple have a play-in game. These two paragons of academia, they represent the cleanest portion of this bracket. <laughs> that winner will play Maryland. The game directly below them is LSU, who make it as far as you can because every every LSU win we get one step closer to a vacated national championship so play on LSU Yale who apparently just takes millions of dollars to let people be on the equestrian team or whatever is going on at Yale um uh Louisville and Minnesota amazing oh boy um and then yeah, some some family ties there too right yeah yeah right and then Michigan State uh, not the least scandal-touched school. And then even Bradley this week had some sort of quasi-scandal because they tried to lock out like a three-time Illinois Journalist of the Year from like reporting on the team. This, guy, this guy's covered the team for like over 20 years. And 29 years. Yeah, he's been the, the beat reporter. And he, he gets bounced because um, the coach says he doesn't represent the Bradley brand well enough. Like, come on, I'm, dude. What you, what you Ama- Amazing. That's the entire lower half of the East Regional. Incredible. I wonder if they looked at those, if they were like looking at that and they were like, let's put all of these teams in one spot so few, like, a lot of them have to lose early on. Yeah. <laughs> I just, right. Like, and the thing is, the 11th seed is Belmont Temple. They really couldn't have just dropped Baylor from a 9 to an 11 and stuck <laughs> Baylor in that spot. spot. Would have been perfect. Ugh. Incredible. Scott, are you telling me that Liberty might beat Mississippi State? Sorry, I'm just I like I'm ha- I like I think I blacked out for a second. Am I tell <laughs> I I mean I'm I'm not saying I'm going to well so I'm going to Las Vegas this week. So I'm I'm not saying I'm going to bet all 12s outright to win every all four of those games, but I might not not, not do that. It feels like a, that feels like a parlay that you should probably do, and then like have some smart hedges in some other places. Like, um, God damn it! Like, athletic success at Liberty is uh, far and away like the least palatable thing for me right now. Um, but I do want to switch back to to what you mentioned before, Murray State, because that's the team I've had my eye on, um, and John Morant has been just an incredible talent all year. Um, I love that this guy has been playing at uh, at this school for his career. Like this is not you know some dude that got bounced from somewhere else and ended up here because nobody like everybody else overlooked him or, or or because you know he screwed up somewhere or something. Like this dude is legit and uh, that team is really fun to watch. And um, yeah, that that I have to think that 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 pick of Murray State over Marquette is going to be on what like ninety percent of people's brackets. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's going to be that high, but I mean, I think it's going to be a very popular pick. Um, I think it's unfortunate just from a viewership perspective. Marquette has, you know, one of the best players in the tournament, Marcus Howard, who's averaging like 25 points a game this year. So you're going to have John Morant and Marcus Howard and neither one of those guys isn't going to make the second round, which I think is from a, just from a fan perspective is, it's kind of crappy, but um, I'm a little surprised that Murray. I, I don't know. I guess I maybe thought Murray might be up a seed line. Um, I thought maybe these playing games might be the 12s rather than the 11s. Mm. 
Um, cause I'm a little, I mean, I don't know. Like I, I, I like Belmont. I'm glad they got a chance, but honestly, Temple, Arizona state and St. John's don't do anything for me. Like, I saw a lot of talk about Temple being a team that shouldn't have shouldn't have even been close. Like, I think it was. I, mean, I was looking at I was looking at St. John's. I, like before we came on, I was like looking at St. John's, and I was like, I like really. I mean, they did beat they beat Marquette twice, and they beat Villanova once, so they've got that. Uh, but they like they lost to DePaul twice. They lost to Xavier twice. They, I don't know. There's this, and I'm like, is this really? But then I looked at the teams that didn't get in, and I was thinking, well, I don't know, like Indiana. Do we really want to put Indiana and Texas in? Like, <laughs> so I'm, I mean, I guess there's not a lot of not a lot of inspiration is coming. I just don't. I'm not. I'm not loving these low at large teams uh, nearly as much as I like these dangerous mid majors or 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 Oregon in the sense of you know being kind of in that spot too. But um, well, speaking of dangerous mid-majors and long shot picks, <clears throat> I don't know exactly what percent of your pool is former is Northwestern alums, Scott, but you're going to have to keep us posted on how many people pick uh, 15 seed Colgate over two seed Tennessee uh, because Colgate has, let me pause while I douse myself in gasoline, uh, raining Patriot League Player of the Year, Rapolis Ivanaskis. Um, you'll have to yeah, well, let so, us know how many people ride Colgate there. Well, so there are there are quite a few people who went to Northwestern in the pool. Um, I would say that the four of us are probably the only ones who know who Rapolis Ivanaskis is, <laughs> <laughs> and that he plays for Colgate. So I think I, I'm not anticipating that being a major factor here. I won't. I won't. Honestly, it's it's for the best for all of those people <laughs> if they don't. Sometimes, yeah, yeah this is a sick this is a sickness. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. <laughs> yeah. I watched the Patriot League final and I spent the entire time convincing myself that he couldn't play in the big. That was that was my. I'm just trying to talk myself into that. <laughs> right I, on on our last podcast, I did liken it to like the opposite effect of Ryan Taylor coming to Northwestern, but. Um, yeah, it it, uh, it stings the nostrils. I don't know. I might be all in on Colgate. It seems like an upset special. Yeah, I don't. I'm. I'm. That's. That's. I'm not. That's not going to be a popular one. I, I don't think they might be. They might have a better chance than Abilene Christian, which is a school that I just be, recently become aware of. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was one of the WAC semifinal games. Was Utah Valley versus Grand Canyon, and I was like, this feels like. We're stuck in one of those like off-brand video games that couldn't get the naming rights, and it's like, <laughs> oh, Utah Valley. Okay, we're just making up names now. Um, but how many? Speak, you know the the Pac-12. How many teams did the Pac-12 end up getting in? They Scott? got three. Um, Would it have been two if Oregon wouldn't have won the tournament? Yes, yes definitely. Wow. Um, yeah, Oregon would not have gotten close probably without winning the tournament. Um, and, and it seems like Arizona State was right on the bubble because they're in the play-in game. Yeah, they might have been the last team. Honestly, I, I was, so what I heard was that the the team that got or the team that Oregon bounced was UNC Greensboro. They were the team. They were the first team left out. Um, so it had Oregon not won, uh, Greensboro would have been in that twelve spot instead of Oregon because uh, they're the, they're the number one overall in IT seed. I'm just I like I'm still drenched in gasoline from Rapolis Ivanaskis, but I'm looking at Ohio State and I'm looking at the Big Ten and just the Pac-12 was just giving away bids for free this year, just handing them out to everybody else. No, we don't want them. Take take ours. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think you could I think you could have made a case for Washington to be worse than a nine. I think that was I think that was somehow respecting the regular season champion of a power conference <laughs> by giving them a nine seed, which is not exactly a whole lot of respect, but like, cause they didn't, they didn't have much in the way of, of good wins. I think Arizona state actually might've had better wins, uh, even though they didn't have as good of a record. Uh, but neither of those teams, I mean, none, none of them, that let league just did not have much. So um, I think the fact that they got three and is like a huge win, huge win for them. <laughs> We're, 
They're, and they're facing off against Utah State, which I bring up only because it's another excuse to bring up Wild Bill for the oh. second week in a row. <laughs> we we had because we had Emily Harriet on, and we were like, she's she's unquestionably the most famous <laughs> college basketball fan in the country this year, and that puts her in a notable fraternity with Duke Speedo guy, Wild Bill, um, very few other people. Surrender Cobra reached, guy. Right, the Surrender Cobra guy for going football. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, uh, so I don't know. Maybe they dust off Wild Bill for the for the tourney games. I don't know, but uh, he's, yeah. he's. I hope he's still out there. Right, like wh- calling Wild Bill. Yeah, right. Um, who who so I'm Scott, sure is listening to this pod. <laughs> yes, <laughs> or, ex- exactly. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe Emily puts out the APB. Maybe it's a special circle that they all have. You know, it's a, it's a it's a fraternity. Um. What so Scott? Anything else that's in particular that's jumping out to you, or you know, that you're looking forward to relative to the bracket, and you know, thing you wait, things you're waiting to see, you know, moves that that people might make, etc. Yeah, I'm just kind of just curious what what the breakdown is going to be of of the champion picks. You know, I've I've long said, um, you know, when you're putting together a bracket. Uh, the five twelve games are obviously a lot of fun to talk about. The six, you know, these these upsets are are really fun to talk about. Really, they don't, they don't move you a whole lot through your bracket. It's really about picking the winner or picking the top two, picking the final four. Like like the, the more of that you get right, you're likely to be near the top of, of any pool you're in. So you know, obviously those upsets early could be the difference if you need to be five points or ten points ahead of somebody at the end. Uh, they can help, but it's really about picking the, that those top teams, and so I think it's going to be interesting to see what's the breakdown here of how popular is Duke. Are they like a fifty percent pick, or are they a thirty percent pick? Um, you know, we've seen in the past teams be picked by more than half um, of of entrance, and then and if you're in that boat, then then those early games really do mean a lot more because you have to kind of separate yourself from other people that have the same champion pick as you. But if you pick somebody who's a little bit more off the board, uh, you really just need that team to keep going because as, as they keep going, you're going to, you're going to keep doing well. Um, Virginia to me is the, the interesting pick here is, is her, they might be the best value in the sense that uh, the quality of their team versus the number of people who are likely to pick them to win, I think is the, there's the biggest gap there of any team uh, just because of, their past and how they haven't been able to do it before. Um, kind of like how Gonzaga was until two years ago when they made it all the way to the championship game. Uh, not to bring that up again, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, it is kind of hard teams that haven't done it before people don't trust them. So it's, 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 do you put your trust in this team? That's clearly really, really, really good. Uh, who's going to take that leap and say, yeah, I'm going to trust Virginia to, to go that far because if they do and they certainly have the talent to do it, it's probably going to pay off for the people who uh, who pick them or they could just, you know, fall on their face like they usually do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just trying to think, um, what what is would you put, uh, if you were thinking of the, a Final Four, and you know, taking all the the number of the seeds, where do you think that's going to fall? Is it going to be like three ones and a two, or what? Or is there going to be possibly a higher seed kind of wheedling their way in uh, to the final four? Do you think that number is going to be fairly low uh, when you add up all the the seeds? Or I, I'm just wondering where you might put that uh, the over under on that. I mean, personally, it looks like the top eight teams are, I would say that they're probably a cut above. I mean, there's a reason, obviously, the top eight sure, teams. Sure. But, I mean, I think that there's even a little bit more of a of a gap there. But, I mean, look. It's a top-heavy year overall. It's top-heavy, right? But, but historically, you look back and you go, okay, well, it, there are some years where you've got two ones and two twos, three ones and three twos. But then you have the years where you have like a four, a nine, a seven, and a three, you know, like, but those are the ones, I mean, nobody's predicting that. Like nobody's going to say, you know, nobody, I thought Loyola Chicago had a pretty good team last year, but obviously nobody was going like, oh yeah, that's a final four team right there. Like, but they did it. So uh, there's a very good chance that three weeks from now, we're going to be like sitting here going like, 
you know, what? how did Seton Hall make the Final Four? Like, you know. Well, based on what you just, it won't be hard to figure that out at all. Clearly, Seton Hall will have a nun who's very old, <laughs> who has ordained it. Yeah, like, hit, yeah. Hit your wagon, hit your wagon to an underdog Catholic team, and see what happens. <laughs> is, that, is that our best shot for a double-digit seed in the final four this year? Yeah. It might be. I don't. I don't I'm not liking Iona. I don't think that's going to happen. So. The Billikens, St. Louis, you know, St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, so I, you know, it, clearly, every time you pick a, every time you pick a. A worse seed to be the better seed, you're making an objectively bad decision because historically the higher seed wins. So, but that's just mathematical, right? So, but but when you're looking at at context, obviously you're you're and and you have to do something to separate yourself from other people. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, my sense of this is that it's it's a, a bit top heavy this year. But um, as soon as we make, you know, again, it's like as soon as we think that's going to be easy it's it, it never is well i mean before we let before we let you go um you know we do want to talk a little northwestern hoops you know as, as much as we've ballyhooed how really bemoaned this past season i'd love to get you know kind of your perspective from being a little bit away from uh away from the situation what happened in your mind <laughs> <laughs> well i mean the the you can't discount the the upheaval over the summer with with Jordan, uh, you know, Lathan not coming to the school. Uh, I mean, he certainly would have made a difference. You know, you looked at his numbers at UTEP; he wasn't spectacular, but he did have some nice games. Um, certainly, looks like he can play a little bit, even if he wouldn't have been like a huge impact guy as a freshman. Uh, but that kind of threw everything off, and then, uh, but I still think the team was good enough to do better than they did. I, Ryan Taylor was just such a disappointment, like, and I don't know what happened with him because well, it just seemed it got time. well, it got it just got worse and worse for Taylor, like over the course of the year. And then all of a sudden he was stable to the bench, like in, in big, in big moments, like down the stretch. So, and we're thinking like, well, this is supposed to be the guy that can reliably hit threes and, and, and make his, you know, create his own shot. And like that. he never, he never was able to do that. So he, he was supposed to be the Scotty Lindsay replacement, right? Yeah. Scott, yeah. Scott, given the, you know, the, the sad state of the pack 12 this year, How's the uh, point guard grad transfer market looking out there on the West Coast? You know, any is anyone available? Any warm bodies out there? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know anybody off the top of my head, but <laughs> I think it's we. You know, I, I also think it's a tough. It's tough to rely on a grad transfer as like one of your go-to guys. I think it's it's nice to have one that's sort of a a nice complimentary player to a nucleus you have. I mean, I guess in a way Taylor was supposed to be with, with, with law and pardon, but um, I think there was a lot of expectations on this guy. Like he was leading a scorer in another conference. Like he's going to come in and be this, you know, this real go-to option. And um, I don't know if, I don't know if going that direction again is like necessarily the best, the best route. And, and I, I also kind of wonder if this is going to, make it tougher for us to land a better grad transfer if they look and see like what happened to this guy when he came to, to the big 10. Like, I don't know. I, it's, I'm feeling, I, I don't know. I was kind of interested in, <laughs> in, in, I was kind of interested in listening or hearing from you guys a little bit, just like talking me, talking me off the ledge a little bit about being worried about the direction of the whole thing, because it seems like, Oh, did you, seems th- like we're stuck. Did you? Did you think we were gonna do that? I just, <laughs> no, I don't know. It was more than this. I just wanted to like. I just wanted to be like, am I? Are you guys thinking? Are we on the same wavelength here with with not being particularly confident with where where this is going? Yeah, I, th- I think we are. I really do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think. It's like, I mean, to your point, everything you said is absolutely true. Why would you expect a grad transfer point guard to come in 
and 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 run a team, but we have three spots basically that can only be filled in the short term by grad transfers. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, if it's not that, it's Ryan Greer slash Daniel Bowie, um, which doesn't right. make me feel much better than a grad transfer. So. Yeah, that's I that, mean, and that's that's it. That's it's not like there's like another option. Like that's next year. We we've been fortunate in that we've gone from. I mean, you know, we went from Juice to you know, and look, Sobolewski was even so, so pretty good actually for two years, right? And then he. Had, he this struggled. is what I'm saying. We just need somebody to be Dave Sobolewski, <laughs> right? Just, but I mean, we went from you know Juice who started for four years. We had Sobo that started as a freshman and was serviceable point guard as a freshman, and then we went right to to McIntosh who was a four year starter, and then we had you know Lathan set up, and then it, I was, okay, then the rugs pulled out, and now it's like so this this momentum that we've had, we've always just had a point guard, it's always just been one that's pretty good, they're you know good enough, and uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, we don't. And yeah, I mean, that is, I get that that's tough to overcome. Um, but it's, there's, look, it's, it does fall on the coach that Isaiah Brown didn't work out. I mean, it falls on the coach that Vassard, whatever happened there, maybe, I think a lot maybe falls on the coach more than, <laughs> than him. Um, or Falzon not working. I mean, like a lot of guys just haven't quite worked out who were supposed to be better. I mean, Benson was supposed to be better. I mean, it's like it's just like at some point you have to be like, all right, well, we're missing now on these guys at the rate that the predecessor did, and this is supposed to be going better. Then I mean, there's a reason that you fired the last guy, right? So what what disturbs me most, and this this is true about all the names you just mentioned, is and, and we won't ever really know this, right? Because it's a chicken and egg situation. But was it the playing time and the lack of an opportunity to, to develop that hurt those dudes? Was it their just a ceiling that became apparent during practice, et cetera? Um, or was it a misidentification of, of talent in the recruiting, uh, in, in, in the recruiting periods? Because like, this is I've I've had this kind of half baked idea I've been fleshing out all year um, around the idea that coming off of the NCAA tournament victory, the coaching staff tried to um, to run when maybe they should have walked, uh, both in leaning in hard on on BMAC senior year, um, not playing Isaiah Brown enough, kind of like sidelining him, maybe thinking that. They had this other point guard, you know, coming in the next year. They didn't need him, free up a scholarship, et cetera. That's, you know, kind of like a short-term decision that didn't pay off. Um, then again, coming into this, you know, well, and then you lost uh, uh, Ivanowskis as well. And obviously he was injured, so we don't quite know how that all played out. Um, but then coming into this year, you've got a situation again where Barrett Benson doesn't play meaningful minutes till late in the year. I get why it happens, right? Like, pardon is great. Benson comes on, the offense goes stagnant. You don't feel like you can play both at the same time because Ivanowskis left, so you have no depth behind Pardon if you're playing them both at the same time. All right, Benson rides the bench a lot, and we see flashes from him towards the end of the year, but he hasn't had any time to like find himself on the floor. Like what 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 is the first piece of this of these of this domino train? Um and it it does feel like the coaches went all in this year trying to get Pardon and Law a cap to their careers. Um, they came pretty close in some of those big games early, earlier in the year, Oklahoma, Michigan, Indiana, et cetera. And, and maybe they just whiffed this year, right? Like maybe they went for it. It didn't work out and there was no way to recover. Um, but it does, it does feel like we're going to learn something next year about, you know, do we see some of the same weird decisions or do we start to see some, some grounding in what, what built us up to that NCAA tournament birth to begin with. It, it's interesting in the sense of, I think about, all right, what I, who would, would you rather have, I think about how, you know, the, the knock on Bill Carmody was that he didn't recruit very well or didn't like doing it or whatever. Um, but I'm like, I mean, I wouldn't mind having John Sherna, Juice Thompson and Drew Crawford right now. I mean, like, I feel like they're better than, 
a lot of most of what we've been putting out the last couple of years. Um, so the idea was to sort of you know up the recruiting and 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 start playing more of an attractive style of basketball that guys want to come be a part of. We have a new arena, you know, all this stuff, but. I don't necessarily see a team that's fitting together where everybody is. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's been hard for me to wrap my head around exactly what, you know, where it's going. I mean, you talk about Isaiah Brown and to me, he was a guy that was, um, I, I knew a little bit about him in high school. He played in Seattle and he was a guy that basically was a one man team up there his team wasn't that great in in Seattle. They were in the public league there, but he averaged like 40 some points a game. He basically just, all he did was take the ball down the floor and shoot it. And now you're asking that guy like, all right, we want you to fit into the point guard on, you know, and not be the number one option essentially. And that's hard for a guy like that to do. Um, so, I mean, I just, I think I, I do feel like there's been a little bit of, we're going to take this guy and we're going to mold him into something. And that hasn't really quite worked. Well, I think to, to me, a part one worrying sign is Falzone transferring. Um, and I think, you know, you can look at it on the surface and, and kind of try to juxtapose it against Rapolis Ivanoskis and be like, okay, this is a guy who's battled injuries. Um, and you know, there's, there's not a place, but in the case of Falzone, I mean, him being a four-star recruit accepted, He's that's he's a tall spot up shooter, right? He's a guy who he's tall, he can guard, you know, other bigs potentially and and take threes in the corner when he's open. I'm going to be really interested to see where he transfers because I think there's a good chance that he's not going to transfer down. He's going to transfer laterally to a program where he's like the 6th or 7th or 8th guy and has those open shots. And if that happens, I kind of, uh, you know, I'm kind of worried because then you've got basically a guy who's basically a role player who's jettisoning and being like, look, I'm going to go be on a team that's more complete because I can do the exact same role somewhere else for a team that's got it more figured out, which if that's what ends up happening, that's kind of worrisome in and of itself. And it sort of feels like we're headed in that direction right now. Well, I think that is interesting if he does... I think that kind of will, will that will kind of give us a little more info. Like, where does he go? If he goes and like, I'm going to go dominate the Patriot League, then that I think is a little more. That's a lot different than like what you're saying. If he goes and just is right. like, I'm going to I'm going to be a I'm going to be a bench contributor on a better team, because uh, you know, obviously, it, he, I'm sure he could have been. I, I've heard some people say like, oh, well, maybe Collins was saying that he wasn't going to get enough minutes next year and that he should look somewhere else. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't he get enough <laughs> is, minutes next is year? He, I mean, can he breathe in and out? Then we're yeah, gonna... like, why wouldn't he get enough minutes? <laughs> like, why wouldn't he be like a, a pretty primary option next year? Um, except, except that Collins continues to play a pretty short bench. And well, I mean, maybe... who else you got? <laughs> but yeah, I, like true, true. And he, more he, Charlie he, Hall. <laughs> he didn't play a ton of young guys this year. I like the one other thing I'll throw out is. We lost two assistant coaches coming into this season. Um, yeah. You had Pat Baldwin going to be the head right, coach right. at Milwaukee, and then you had uh, Armand Gates leaving, you know, weirdly and ending up ultimately uh, at Nebraska in a in a very similar or, or potentially even reduced role. And if there's, like, if there's one benefit of the doubt thing that I would afford the coaching staff um, from this season, it's that. That and 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 we know Pat Baldwin was huge for this program, especially in the way he worked with the big men. Um, so like maybe they needed you know some time to figure their stuff out, especially you know between that and the Lathan situation, it was just too much to deal with. Um, and you hope they come in in stronger footing this year. But that's it's kind of like the only benefit of the doubt I'm willing to extend at this stage. And and what's crazy is like you you talked because you talked about like those early the those early games Oklahoma Indiana Michigan you know we if we close those out then all of a sudden I think it's a completely different story I mean yeah, you've got, 100% you got a little confidence going into the Big 10 schedule you know you're you're not you know you 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 think that you maybe can win a close game instead of you know coming out and you know we're we've lost all the close games we're in and that that might have 
you know, I changed something. I mean, not to the point of going to the dance or anything, but it might have, you know, kept us from being the 14 seed in the Big Ten tournament. Well, maybe it keeps you from playing with desperation. You know, like we we played law, what, 36, 37 minutes a game? Same thing with pardon all season long. It's, you know, instead of getting that, that short bench a little bit more time in there, and like it felt like we really played with desperation uh, up until we, we couldn't do it anymore because law was hurt. Well, that's funny, and that was another – it's like these are the same things that people complained about with Carmody was, oh, we're playing the same five guys all the time. We don't have a bench. We're not deep. We don't have enough guys. And so now it's all of a sudden we're, we're talking about the same stuff here uh, however many years later. So um, so it's kind of like outside of this one unicorn season, it's like everything's just kind of the same. It's kind of the same as it was before and after. So It's funny, too, to the point of a few little things going – the other way. I mean, again, I still feel like the systematic issues of this team were disasters. But if you look at the NIT, Nebraska and Indiana are both in the NIT. Indiana was 17 and 15 and Nebraska was 18 and 16. So it's like a winning record probably gets us into the postseason this year. Um, but but not not to be. Yeah, I mean, that's a part of the frustrating thing was early in the year looking at our record and being like, man, if we had actually beaten Oklahoma, and even if we had had won one of the Indiana and Michigan games, looking at that and being like, we would be like a top 40 team right now. You know, like like the the margin was really small there for a while before we just, you know, kind of, um, you know, win the tank down the stretch, but... um, you got but you got to think that uh, last second loss against Iowa really hurt too. Oh, that one as, too. As, as, yeah. as a first time law had looked good since the beginning of January, he looked healthy. Um, they go on the road against a ranked Iowa team and really beat the crap out of them for what 35, 30, 30 minutes before Iowa kind of storms back, and then coming off of that lose at Ruck, lose to Rutgers lose at Nebraska get killed at Ohio State I mean like you, like you can just you can reformulate that pretty easily and not that it would have saved the season or, or put Northwestern in any postseason conversations but it just would have made things a lot more palatable yeah yeah it is and I, I, I keep going back to you know you look just two years ago thinking two marches ago thinking like I mean would you have thought that in two seasons our football team would be playing for a conference championship and our basketball team would be back to being a, a dumpster fire like the, the first thing yes the second thing no I'm yeah I, I'm glad you at least worked some good feels into that statement Scott that was <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean but I mean like, but really I was like I'm like wow I'm like I, I like two years ago I was trying to track myself into like oh no we're a basketball school <laughs> <laughs> that lasted for a long time. I went to San Diego. I went to the bowl game. Nice. Clayton was... Thorson's getting drafted in third round, boys. Third round. Huh? It's you, not high. Your, uh, yeah. Call? No, I, I I would tend to agree. And you know, we'll we'll get we'll get into draft talk, and we'll get into that as as we get a little bit closer. But um, before we you know ha- have to go and crack open another Guinness of the evening. <laughs> um, to, to drown our sorrows away. Uh, we should probably go ahead and, and leave it there. Scott, uh, thank you once again for, for coming on with us. Um, really, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we'll see how this year's tourney goes. Yeah. Always a lot of fun. And, um, I'm sure it's something totally unexpected will happen because it always does. But, um, but yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm all over about these 12, these 12 seeds. Well, have fun in Vegas. Um, you know, that is always the best time of the year to go to Vegas is that opening weekend of uh, March Madness. Oh, my God. It's amazing there. It is. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, well, that'll just about wrap it up for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Westlaw Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. 
Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazba, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.